Section three of Loss of the Sultana by Chester D. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three. Official correspondence. Destruction of the steamer Sultana in the Mississippi River near Memphis, Tennessee, April twenty seventh, eighteen sixty five. From the records of this department, it would appear that the steamer Sultana left Vicksburg, Mississippi, on April 24, 1865, and was destroyed in the Mississippi River near Memphis, Tennessee, on April 27, 1865. A court of inquiry was thereupon ordered by Major General C. C. Washburn, commanding district of West Tennessee, to investigate the facts and circumstances of the burning of the Sultana. On April 30, 1865, the Secretary of War instructed Brevet Brigadier General Hoffman, Commissary General of Prisoners, to inquire into the circumstances of the destruction of the steamer referred to, which officer on May 19, 1865, made the following report. Office of the Commissary General of Prisoners, Washington, D.C., May 19, 1865. Honorable E. M. Stanton, Secretary of War, Washington, D.C. Sir, Pursuant to your instructions of the 30th Ultimo, I proceeded direct to Memphis, Tennessee, and Vicksburg, Mississippi, to inquire into the circumstances of the destruction of the steamer Sultana in the Mississippi River near Memphis on the 24th Ultimo by which calamity a large number of paroled prisoners who had embarked on her at vicksburg lost their lives and i have the honor to submit the following report of the result of my investigations at memphis i learned that a court of inquiry had been ordered by major general washburn commanding district of west tennessee to investigate the facts and circumstances of the burning of the sultana and at vicksburg i learned that a commission had been ordered by major general dana commanding department of the mississippi to make a similar investigation the court and the commission were about closing their proceedings when i arrived at vicksburg and finding upon a perusal of their records that all the testimony taken would be useful to me in forming an opinion as to the merits of the case i determined to avail myself of a copy of them which I was permitted to do through the courtesy of the generals by whom the investigations were made. In addition to the above, I obtained such further testimony that was within my reach, as I thought necessary to a full understanding of the matter. Upon a careful consideration of all the facts as presented in the testimony herewith submitted, I am of the opinion that the shipment of so large a number of troops one thousand eight hundred and sixty six on one boat was under the circumstances unnecessary unjustifiable and a great outrage on the troops a proper order was issued by the general commanding the department for the embarkation of the paroled prisoners and there were four officers of his staff who were responsible that this order was properly carried out viz colonel r b hatch captain in the quartermaster's department chief quartermaster captain frederick speed a a g u s volunteers adjutant general department of mississippi 
Captain George A. Williams, 1st U.S. Infantry, Commissary of Musters, and in charge of paroled prisoners, and Captain W. F. Kearns, A.Q.M., U.S. Volunteers, and Master of Transportation. If there was anything deficient or unsuitable in the character of the transportation furnished, one or more of these officers should be held accountable for the neglect. The testimony shows that it was well understood by the four officers named that the troops in question were to embark on the Sultana. She was provided by the Master of Transportation with the approval of the Chief Quartermaster upon the order of General Dana, though not upon a formal requisition, and Captain Speed and Captain Williams were to superintend the embarkation. Nothing was known positively as to the number of men that were to go on board, but it was the impression that there would be from 1,200 to 1,500. Nor was any inspection of the boat made by either of the officers above named to determine her capacity or her condition. Neither one of them knew whether she had proper apparatus for cooking for so many men, or other necessary conveniences required for troops on transports. The troops were sent to the steamer from the camp in three parties, as is shown by the testimony of Mr. Butler, superintendent of military railroads at Vicksburg, though Captain Speed and Captain Williams knew only of the first and third parties. The second party consisted of between three hundred and four hundred men. As the men were being embarked, Captain Kearns seems to have been satisfied that too many were going on one boat, and he so reported to Colonel Hatch, who agreed with him in this belief, but failed to interfere himself, as it was his duty to do so, or to make any report of the matter to General Dana, because, as he states, he had had a day or two before some difficulty with Captain Speed about the shipment of troops. There were two other steamers at the landing during the day, both of which would have taken a part of the men and there was, therefore, no necessity for crowding them all on one boat. It only required an order from Colonel Hatch or a representation of the facts to the commanding general. Both Captain Speed and Captain Williams acted under the impression that there were only about 1,400 men to be forwarded, and having also a conviction that liberty had been attempted to induce the shipment of part of the men on the Pauline Carroll they, during the day, resisted the proposition to divide the command between the two boats, in the belief that in doing so they resisted an attempt at fraud. It was not until the troops were all on board that they became aware of the fearful load that was on the boat, and then they seemed to think it too late to make any changes. But neither of them made any inspection of the boat to see whether there was room enough for every man to lie down. The testimony shows, and by a calculation of the area of the three decks, I am satisfied that there was scant sleeping room for all the men when every part of the boat from the roof of the Texas to the main deck was fully occupied. At night it was impossible to move about, and it was only with much difficulty that it could be done during the daytime. The cooking was done either by hot water taken from the boilers or at a small stove on the after part of the main deck, and owing to the limited nature of this arrangement, 
the difficulty of getting about the boat, and the want of camp kettles or mess pans, the cooking could not be very general. Before the troops embarked, there were on the boat about sixty horses and mules, and some hogs, one hundred or more. The great weight on the upper deck made it necessary to set up stanchions in many places, in spite of which the deck perceptibly sagged. The impression seems to have been entertained that the paroled troops, having been so long suffering together in rebel prisons, were particularly anxious to go home together in the same boat, but there is no foundation for this belief. The men were exceedingly anxious to return to their homes and were willing to put up with many inconveniences, but they felt that they were treated with unkindness and harshness when they were crowded together in great discomfort on one boat, when another equally good was lying alongside willing to take them. From the foregoing, I am of opinion that the four officers above named are responsible for the embarkation of so large a number of troops on an unsuitable vessel, Colonel Hatch and Captain Speed being the most censurable. It was their duty especially to see that the service was properly performed. Captain Williams was assisting Captain Speed, and seems to have felt that there was no special responsibility resting on him. But there was a manifest propriety in his knowing the number embarked, and if there was a deficiency of transportation, he should have reported it. Captain Kearns made no inspection of the steamer to see that she was properly fitted up, but he did report her to Colonel Hatch, and also to General Smith, as being insufficient for so many troops, and his report should have been noticed. He made no report of the repairing of the boiler, which he seems to have been aware was going forward, and which it has not yet been decided positively was not the cause of the disaster. Lieutenant W. H. Tillinghouse, 66th United States Colored Infantry, was the only other officer connected with this service, but he had no directing control. It is shown by his own testimony that a bribe was being proffered to him to induce him to use his influence in having some of the troops shipped on the Pauline Carroll, which he showed a willingness to accept. At least he did not reject it and which he failed to report until after the loss of the sultana. The testimony of the four officers above referred to is very contradictory, and I have formed my opinion from the general tenor of the testimony and the circumstances of the embarkation. Brigadier General M. L. Smith, United States Volunteers, had command of the district of Vicksburg at the time, but he had nothing officially to do with the shipment of the troops. Yet, as it was officially reported to him by Captain Kearns that too many men were being put on the Sultana, it was proper that he should have satisfied himself, from good authority, whether there was sufficient grounds for the report, and if he found it so, he should have interfered to have the evil remedied. Had he done so, the lives of many men would have been saved." In reference to the immediate cause of the calamity, the testimony which I have been able to collect does not enable me to form a positive opinion. The testimony of the two engineers of the Sultana and of the inspector at St. Louis, 
establishes that her boilers were in good condition on her leaving that port for New Orleans, and apparently continued so until her arrival within ten hours' run of Vicksburg, when a leak occurred in one of her boilers. On the arrival of the boat at Vicksburg, this leak was repaired by a competent boilermaker, and was pronounced by him a good job, though he qualifies the character of the work by saying that, to have been thorough and permanent, the two sheets adjoining the leak should have been taken out, and that, in its then condition, it was not perfect. The first engineer, Mr. Wintringer, testifies that after leaving Vicksburg, he watched the repaired part of the boiler, which was near the front end, just over the fire bars, carefully, and it did not at any time show the least sign of giving way. When he was relieved from charge of the engine by the second engineer, the boilers were full of water and in good condition, and on their return to Memphis, the second engineer, Mr. Clemens, who being on watch at the time of the explosion was fatally scalded, told him before he died that the boilers were all right and full of water. I was told by another engineer at Cincinnati that he had said the same thing to another person on landing at Memphis, but this other person was not within my reach. There is nothing to show that there was any careening of the boat at the time of the disaster, or that she was running fast. On the contrary, it is shown that she was running evenly and not fast. A piece of boiler was obtained from the wreck, by order of General Washburn, which I examined. It seemed to have been broken from the bottom of the boiler the breadth of a sheet, and torn tapering to near the top of the boiler, tearing the iron-like paper at times through the rivet holes and then through the middle of the sheet. The lower or wider end seems to have been exposed to the fire without the protection of water, and if so, this doubtless was the cause of the explosion. But this piece of iron may have been exposed to the fire of the burning vessel after the explosion, in which case some other cause must be found to account for it. The testimony of some of the most experienced engineers on the western rivers is given to throw some light on the matter, but until the boilers can all be examined, no reliable conjecture can be made to account for the explosion. Thus far, nothing has been discovered to show that the disaster was attributable to the imperfect patching. It is the common opinion among the engineers that an explosion of steam boilers is impossible when they have the proper quantity of water in them, but the boilers may burst from an overpressure of steam when they are full of water, owing to some defective part of the iron, in which case there is generally no other harm done than giving way of the defective part and the consequent escape of steam. One engineer, who is said to be the most reliable on the river, said that even in such a case the great power of the steam having once found a yielding place tears everything before it, producing the effect of an explosion, and his view seems to be reasonable. What is usually understood as the explosion of a boiler is caused by the sudden development of intense steam by the water coming in contact with red-hot iron, which produces an effect like the firing of gunpowder in a mine, 
and the destruction of the boilers and the boat that carries them is the consequence. The reports and testimony show that there were 1,866 troops on board the boat, including 33 paroled officers, one officer who had resigned, and the captain in charge of the guard. Of these, 765, including 16 officers, were saved, and 1,101, including 19 officers, were lost. There were 70 cabin passengers and 85 crew on board, of whom some 12 to 18 were saved, giving the loss of 137, making the total loss 1,238. I have the honor to submit herewith the following papers in support of the foregoing opinions, viz. Testimony taken before the Court of Inquiry, ordered by Major General Washburn, marked A. Testimony taken before the Commission, ordered by Major General Dana, marked B. Testimony taken by myself, including testimony of Captain James McCown, 6th Kentucky Cavalry, taken before Colonel Badeau of General Grant's staff, marked C, and the report of Major General Dana, commanding Department of Mississippi, marked D. I have the honor to be, very respectfully, your obedient servant, W. Hoffman, Brevet Brigadier General, U.S. Army, Commissary General of Prisoners. Vicksburg, Mississippi, May 7th, 1865. Will General Dana please state what officer or officers he considers responsible for the shipment of the paroled troops within referred to and for the proper character of the transportation? Very respectfully, W. Hoffman, Commissary General, Prisoners. Headquarters, Department of Mississippi, Vicksburg, May 8, 1865. Respectfully returned to Brigadier General Hoffman. Captain Speed was entrusted with the transfer and shipment of the prisoners, and assumed full and active management and control of it, and I therefore consider him fully responsible, therefore. The Quartermaster's Department was ordered to provide the transportation, and I consider Captain Kearns, Quartermaster in charge of transportation, responsible for the character of it. N. J. T. Dana, Major General. The report of Major General Dana is as follows. Headquarters, Department of Mississippi, Vicksburg, May 8, 1865. Brigadier General W. Hoffman, United States Army, Commissary General of Prisoners. In compliance with your verbal request this morning, I have the honor to report as follows regarding the shipment of paroled federal prisoners from here. The Commissary of Musters of this department, Captain George A. Williams, 1st U.S. Infantry, was, by my order in the latter part of March, placed in charge of duties pertaining to an assistant commissioner of exchange, with a view to transaction of business with the rebel agents then in charge of federal prisoners of war who were arriving under flag of truce. The rebel commissioners having positively declined to turn over any prisoners till they received an equivalent, 
Captain Williams was sent, first to Mobile, and then to Cairo, to communicate with Major General Canby, Lieutenant General Grant, and Brigadier General Hoffman. During his absence, Captain Frederick Speed, Assistant Adjutant General of this department, at his own suggestion, was assigned by me to the performance of Captain Williams's duties, and took entire charge of the receiving of prisoners from the rebel agents, and of sending them to the parole camps at the North. During Captain Williams's absence at the North, orders were received, through me, by the rebel officials from Colonel Ould, rebel commissioner, by which they were induced to parole the prisoners, and I then ordered Captain Speed to prepare their rolls as rapidly as possible and send them north as rapidly as the rolls could be prepared, calculating as near as circumstances would permit about one thousand at a load for the regular packets as they passed. The first load which was sent north was expected to be about eight hundred, as that was about the number for which rolls were completed when the Henry Ames was expected. She was delayed, however, and by the time she was ready to leave, the rolls were ready for upwards of thirteen hundred, and she carried them off. I had taken great interest in expediting the departure of these brave fellows to their homes, and I went down to see this load start. The next load was by the steamboat Olive Branch, which arrived so soon after the departure of the Ames that rolls for only about seven hundred were ready for her. After she left, Captain Speed came to me in considerable indignation and asked for authority to place Captain Kearns, the quartermaster of transportation at this post, in arrest. He stated that he had ordered all boats to be reported to him immediately on arrival and to await orders. That this boat had arrived in the middle of the night and had not been reported to him till eight o'clock next morning, and that she had been unnecessarily detained after being loaded, and that he had been informed that this delay was made because she did not belong to the line which had the government contract, and that the contract line had offered a pecuniary consideration per capita for the men to be kept for their boats and the intention was to detain the olive branch till one of the contract line came along to take the load from her. I directed him not to arrest Captain Kearns till he was satisfied, upon proper investigation, that the reports he had heard were well founded. The next boat was the Sultana, and she arrived so soon after the departure of the olive branch that Captain Speed reported to me that rolls for only about three hundred men could be prepared, and that, therefore, none would go by her, but they would wait for the next boat. Captain Williams had arrived from the north in the night. Soon after making his first report, Captain Speed came to my office and reported that he had consulted with Captain Williams and had decided to ship all the balance of prisoners on the Sultana, as Captain Williams had advised that they be counted and checked as they went on board, and he would prepare the rolls afterwards. I expressed satisfaction at this, and asked how many there would be, and he replied about thirteen hundred, not to exceed fourteen hundred, 
that the exact number could not be stated owing to discrepancies in the rebel rolls. About the middle of the day, Captain Williams came and reported that the captain of the Sultana said he would leave in an hour or two, and that a large proportion of the men were still out at the parole camp, and he did not believe that proper exertions were being made to get them off, and that he had been informed that a pecuniary consideration had been offered per capita for the detention of the men and shipment of them on the other line, and he thought Captain Speed was practicing delay purposely for the detention of the men till the Sultana should leave and a boat of the other line arrive. I then informed Captain Williams of what Captain Speed had previously reported regarding Captain Kearns and his clerks, and stated that I thought he had the rumor wrong. He promised to investigate it, and afterwards reported to me that he was entirely mistaken as regarded Captain Speed. I also ordered a telegram to be sent to Captain Speed, informing him that the boat would leave in an hour or two, and inquiring if any more men would go by her. After dark, Captain Speed reported that all the men were in from camp. Up to this moment, I considered that he had performed his difficult task with great satisfaction and efficiency. The next morning, on visiting my office, I inquired of Captain Speed whether the boat had left and was informed she had. I then inquired as to the exact number of men she had taken, and was astonished to hear that there were nineteen hundred. Having never seen the boat, I inquired as to her capacity and as to the comfort of the men, and was assured by both Captain Speed and Captain Williams that the load was not large for the boat, that the men were comfortable and not overcrowded, and that there were very few boats which had so much room for troops as the Sultana. I had, at first, entrusted the whole exchange business to Captain Williams, but he, having left Captain Speed, was placed in charge of it, in addition to his other duties, by my orders. He assumed and managed it, as I thought, with ability, and I never had any report or complaint, further than is stated above, prior to the deplorable calamity to the boat, and was not informed of any circumstances in the details of the whole matter. I am, very respectfully, etc., N. J. T. Dana, Major General. The testimony referred to in General Hoffman's report is on file in this department. It is quite voluminous, however, and as his report was based upon that testimony and the report of General Dana, it is believed that the foregoing will furnish the necessary data bearing upon the destruction of the steamer Sultana. Respectfully submitted, F. C. Ainsworth Captain and Assistant Surgeon, USA, Record and Pension Division. To the Honorable the Secretary of War. End of Section 3